Good morning, friends. I trust that you're having a great Sunday morning, another Sunday in Advent. Today's message is confidence in God's promises. Let me start by asking you a question. Would you be willing to say, and to be really honest about it, that all the promises of the Bible have come true for you? And if you would answer yes, where would such confidence come from? Well, for me, it comes from knowing God's word and building my life on it. Now, Psalm 119, verse 165, kind of our base text for today, tells us what happens when we do that. In this psalm, it contains a promise, a condition, and a result. Now, here is the verse. Great peace have those who love your law. Nothing can make them stumble. Well, let's start with the promise, which is great peace. Now, peace is a wonderful concept, and great peace is even better. Now, peace is, I think, man's highest hope and his fondest dream. In most days, it seems kind of hard to achieve. But, and there is always a but, when Jesus was born, the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill to men. But after 2,000 years or so, it seems kind of in short supply. Now, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. If you visit Israel, people on the street would greet you with shalom, peace to you, my friend. Now, it's a mistake to think of shalom as simply being the absence of conflict. It's a much richer idea than that. Biblical shalom involves things like prosperity, happiness, contentment, and most of all, blessing from the Lord. It's a very positive, very rich, and very wholesome concept. A friend once told me, peace is not the absence of trouble, it's the presence of God. And as you might guess, the Bible has a lot to say about peace. Let me just give you a few examples. Isaiah 26.3 You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. John 14.27 Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Or Romans 5.1 Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more from Philippians, Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, all I'm saying, friends, is if you want this sort of great shalom from God, we must learn the meaning of submission. As long as we demand our own way, we're never really going to have peace in our hearts. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's right at this point that many of us miss the mark. We begin the day by making our plans, setting our agenda, writing our to-do list. And then we kind of lay it in front of the Lord and say, you know, Lord, if you don't mind, I'd like you to sign off on this. And, and if you could do it quickly, that would be fine because, you know, i got a busy day ahead of me. We say we want God's will. But in truth, what we really want is God's rubber stamp on our plans. And so it's no wonder that at times we're miserable and frustrated and anxious and easily alarmed and demanding or hyper-controlling or just, well, let's put it simply, hard to live with. Now, do you know how to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. C.S. Lewis remarked that there are only two prayers in the universe, 
here they are, my will be done and thy will be done. See, everything else, everything we crave fits into one of those two categories. Now, I know from personal experience that it's not easy to sincerely pray, thy will be done. And like most of you, I'd prefer that my will be done. I mean, there's something in all of us that wants to be in control, to run the show, to set the agenda, to be in charge. So how humbling it is to consider the example of Jesus who stretched out on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane, dripping bloody sweat and deepest agony, as he contemplated the horrors of the cross, and he says in Matthew 26:39, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. You know something, friends, it costs something to pray like that. If you think it's easy, it's only because you have never surrendered your will and holy submission to your Heavenly Father. Now, it occurs to me that the only truly happy people I've ever really known are those who have prayed, Thy will be done. They have this great peace of Psalm 119. They've discovered that the way to this great peace is to yield everything to the Lord. And until you do that, well, there's going to be kind of continual inner unrest. Now, how can we know if we have this great peace that our text promises? Well, there are three marks to look for. One is a clear conscience. There will be no peace as long as we harbor sin and wrong attitudes. There will be a contented heart. That means a heart at rest in the midst of the hustle and bustle of life. It's the opposite of a heart consumed with anxious care and the worries of this world. And third, a happy confidence in God. Now, by this, I mean a confidence that looks back and sees the hand of God in all the varied and challenging changing circumstances of life. Now, this sort of confidence sees God at work in good times and hard moments, leading you through some very dark valleys. This kind of confidence looks at the present and says, I am here by God's appointment, therefore it is good for me to be here, even though I might prefer to be somewhere else. And it looks to the future with anticipation, knowing that God will lead you step by step so that you will end up exactly where he wants you to be. This, this is the great shalom of God. It is a promise within the reach of every child of God. Now, second, there's the condition. And the condition of this great peace is for those who love your law. Now, I hope you caught that. This great shalom is given only to those who love God's law. Now, let's be honest here, friends. How do you love a book of laws? Now, the very idea of loving the law seems to be a sort of oxymoron, two words that don't normally go together. Now, of course, we're not to love the Bible in the sense of loving the ink printed on the paper, and it's not just the words we love or even the message contained in the words. We love this book because we love the one who wrote this book. His words have meaning for us because we know him personally. I mean, seen in this light, loving God's law means more than reading the Bible or memorizing certain verses or meditating on your daily Bible reading. It goes beyond mere approval or admiration. It even goes beyond delighting in the word. To love God's law means to embrace it wholeheartedly as the rule of your life. See, because we love God, we love his word, and we make it the foundation and center of all that we do. Now, I would hope and pray that you would join me today in saying, I truly love God's word, and I want to spend the rest of my life getting to know it better. You see, loving God's word is a gift from God. You don't work it up by human emotion. It doesn't come automatically just because you read the Bible every day. After all, far too many people read the Bible mechanically and are never changed. They're never touched. They're never moved. They read the word, but they don't love it. 
I remember someone asking me if I read the Bible every day, and my response was, yes, most days. But then they followed it up by asking, are you a lover of God's word? Or to put it differently, it was Manny Mill who asked a friend of mine, is your pastor a biblicist? Does he love God's word? Now, I, I've got to admit, I read the Word, I study the Word, I write about the Word, I teach the Word, I preach the Word, but the question is, do I love God's Word? See, that's when I understood that loving God's Word is a gift from God, like the gift of faith that brings us to Jesus in the first place. Now, I'm sure maybe many of you are familiar with this Bible verse from James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes down from God in heaven. See, even the ability... And desire to love God's word must come from God himself. And this is a humble and liberating insight to me. Now here then is a most practical application for all of us. As you think about this verse, and as you contemplate what it promises and what it requires, ask God to give you a true and deep and lasting love for his word. Ask, seek, and knock. That should sound somewhat familiar. I mean, tell the Lord that you want to be more than a reader of the word and more than a student of the word. Tell him you want to love his word and ask for that love. Pray that it might be implanted in your heart. And if we ask in sincerity, that's a prayer God will be pleased to answer. Now, finally, there's the result. It's it's that nothing shall offend them. The end of this verse tells us of a wonderful result that comes from the great peace that God gives those who love his law. The King James Version puts it this way, nothing shall offend them. Now that in itself seems like a pretty fantastic promise, an incredible result. It's almost too good to be true. Now you can check the word nothing in Hebrew, and you're going to discover that it means nothing. No offense taken. Nothing will irritate us. Nothing will destroy our calm composure. Nothing will get under our skin. Nothing will make us all hot and bothered. Nothing will cause us to be bent out of shape or edgy or angry or frustrated. (laughs) Now, that's quite a promise if you think about it. But I will admit this, when I read those words, I almost unconsciously want to downgrade them like this. I want to be able to say, not very many things will offend them, or most things won't bother them, or but a few things will really tick them off. Now that, of course, is my flesh not wanting to take God's word at face value. And it reveals the tendency we all have to make excuses for our wrong attitudes. Now the newer versions of God's word translate this last phrase using words related to stumbling. Uh, Some versions say nothing can make them stumble or no stumbling around in the dark for them. They will not be upended. Now, the word picture means that we will have a strong foundation in times of trouble. But note something very important. This verse does not say there won't be any stumbling blocks. So when you read this verse, make sure you understand that there will still be stumbling blocks along the way. We will all have our full measure of problems to deal with before this life is over. But, it's always a but, the promise is this. To those who love God's law, you will not stumble when you come to them. Perhaps you will step over them, or perhaps you will walk around them, or God will give you the grace to walk through them. But in any case, you will not stumble, you will not fall, you will not be destroyed by the changing circumstances of life. Now, let's consider what this means in practical terms. If you are attacked or falsely accused, you will not stumble. If you're ridiculed, made fun of for your faith, you won't stumble. If we struggle with temptation, we will not stumble. If we're 
bothered by the failures of others we trusted, we will not stumble. If we face hard times and bad circumstances, we will not stumble. If we're bothered by the arguments of skeptics, we will not stumble. You know, if we're consumed with fear or worry, we won't stumble. If we are deeply troubled by the tragedies in this world, we will not stumble. If we feel unequal or unqualified to the tasks set before us, we will not stumble. If we fear being left alone, we will not stumble. If we lose a loved one in sudden death, we will not stumble. I don't know about you, but how wonderful and how appropriate are the words of this verse. Great peace have they who love God's law. Very simply, friends, nothing shall offend them. Nothing will cause them to stumble. Nothing can defeat them. Why? Because the word of God is their foundation. And as a result, they are completely secure. Well, until next time, see the vision, live the mission, and feel the passion. Love God's word. Bye-bye.